I'm Matt Rubel, and we're here with Retails from the Front Lines, a great view into that which is happening that's current in the retail world today. And it's a beautiful world today, even though I'm in Dallas and our guest is in New York City, but it's beautiful in both places in more ways than one because we're going to talk to Debbie Perlman, the president and CEO of one of the most iconic beauty companies in the world, Revlon. So Debbie, welcome. It's great to see you with me in Dallas and you in kind of the bustling of New York. Thank you, Matt. It's really a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. I'm really thrilled to be here also because you spent a number of years of your career at Revlon as well. So I look forward to getting your perspective of your time here and learning from that. Well, it was uh, it, it was a few years ago, um, but uh, the thing that was great about Revlon is that, you know, we always kind of went back to how the founders would think about the different brands. And and so for me, that's part of what I'm going to try to get in some insights for you in terms of how you look back on some of the iconic businesses that you're overseeing today, like Revlon or over in you know China, what you're doing with Elizabeth Arden, um, a woman who uh, invented really the first theoretical look at wellness you know, mm-hmm. and health and, and how she brought that to life. But but really, I'd love to hear from you. You know, you've been exposed to so many businesses in your background. What what drew you to beauty? Why did you end up choosing to spend 20 years training and learning the beauty industry? I would say, first and foremost, it, it certainly is a personal passion of mine. I consider myself to be a beauty junkie. I remember, frankly, most of my lipsticks that I wore even when I was in high school. You know, going from that, it really comes down to a love of the consumer and a love of the industry. As you know, it's ever-changing and extremely dynamic. And that dynamicism is really what drew me to the industry. So, you know, when 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 the, you know, kind of remembering your first lipstick and kind of how it felt going on and how it made you feel, um, talk a little bit about the feeling that, you know, kind of feeling good, looking good, you know, leaves one with and, and how you translate that into how you want your brand and the products to come to life. You know, it's such a good question because it really is about the emotional connection to the consumer. And I'm a consumer. I remember that at my high school graduation, I wore Silver City Pink and that color gave me a tremendous amount of confidence And it really goes back to what we're trying to do here, which is around our purpose. And our purpose is grounded in creating beauty innovations for everyone that inspire confidence and ignite joy every single day. So that we're a part of the big moments of people's lives, as well as the everyday moments of people's lives, and are really striving to create that connection that they'll remember for years to come. We're going to have to get a picture of you in the the silver <laughs> lipstick. So we can kind yeah. of get that out. Not as today. Of, <laughs> as a part of things, I mean, it's amazing the things that we did in high school, and we still remember them. Um, but we're yeah. not going to repeat some of them <laughs> as it as it moves forward. You know, one of the things when I was at Revlon that was so impressive to me um, was um, not just the focus on the consumer, but how one worked back and got the lab to focus on the consumer. And one of the things I've noticed since you've taken over um, as CEO here the last three years is the innovation, not just in how you talk to the consumer, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but also in the products that you're bringing to life have so many contemporary aspects to them. How are you kind of bringing that 
through the lab and then back to the consumer in a much more modern way, which is finally igniting Revlon to where it's growing market share again. Matt, it's very exciting for us to be in this position where we're actually linking the insights from the consumer and their consumer's voice into the products that we're launching into market. And, you know, I'll give you one example, and that's really around sustainability, which, as we know today, the consumer views as almost table stakes in terms of, you know, where brands are. And at Revlon, we came out and said, you know, for our new products going forward, being sustainable for that, we are going to launch products that had, you know, sustainable elements, product, formulation, packaging, or both. And yeah, I was reading, you know, it was funny, I was reading some of the, one of the new, you know, nail lacquers that you came out with. And I know, you know, kind of Charles Revson, you know, started out with kind yeah. of nail lacquer being his thing. But those things, I mean, the alcohol content, the, you know, the, the, the materials that were used. And this I saw, it's like one, one kind of easy dash on, yet it's vegan, right? It's vegan. And it's vegan. And I mean, 10 ingredients plus free. So we call it a free from. It's called HD Snap. It not only looks beautiful, but it performs. And that's also very important, right? So our Alme Gel Intense Eyeliner, which is EWG certified, and not only it has sustainable elements, but you know, at the end of the day, from being in this business, the product has got to meet the expectations of the consumer. Yeah, well, you've got to feel beautiful in the way in which one is doing that. So so as you've kind of brought innovation forward in a way that's sustainable, but still really deals with bringing hope to life, what, um, you know, the company was really only 2%, I think, digital when you took over as CEO. What did you look at, not just in terms of the product innovation, but the ways to connect and bring the party and bring the fun, you know, to the consumer? What were some of the things that you did that enabled that to happen in a business that's been around for decades and decades and hadn't really addressed it? Mm -hmm. So, as you said, we had very low single digits of e-commerce penetration when I joined. And at the end of 2020, we've grown it to about 20 percent, which is extremely exciting for us. Because we really engaged our, our internal teams in terms of upskilling, changing the way we worked, moving with speed, and really listening to how the consumer wanted to engage, not only on our own e-commerce channels, but also on social channels, and whether it's TikTok, whether it's Instagram, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, et cetera, you know, really pushing the bounds, not only in terms of our own voice, but also in terms of user-generated content and how we leverage that in the market. What, what was the most wild and crazy insight that you got, you know, from a new consumer, you know, that uh, surprised you that you were then able to turn into something? You know, for me, one example that comes to mind is we had user generated content out of Australia on our volcanic face roller, jade face roller. And it really went viral to the point that we were able to actually leverage that type of content from that wonderful woman into growing our business on, on e-commerce channels. And it's just been an incredible learning for us to be able to do that, which wouldn't have happened five years ago. Well, it is true. Crowdsourcing, user-generated content. I mean, what did she do? I mean, I want to know, what did she do that? She sat with the product in, it looked like in her front yard in a beautiful sunny day and was using the product and telling the, the, her audience how great the product worked and how much she loved it. And it was really the authenticity. 
And that's what's driving the consumer to connection today. So the more that we can leverage our own consumer base who have a love and passion for our brands, the better that we're able to connect in terms of not only product, but also our messaging. Are you finding that it's product or the way in which you're addressing the product? Because when I was looking online and going through things the last few days in preparation for this, I saw a lot of, you know, younger women in their early 20s, you know, who are kind of going out, making their way, who are, you know, this is a very, very classic brand that's been around a long time and it had matured in its age, you know, kind of the people that was appealing to. And it seemed like you have a lot of people in their early 20s. How have you done that? Was it product? Was it TikTok? What was it? It's all of the above. It, it keeps going back to what everyone's striving for, including us, which is that true omni-channel experience. So you're showing up in store, you're showing up on e-commerce, you're showing up in social, right, in ways in which that really resonate. And that includes product. It includes collaboration. So we have incredible ambassadors across all of our brands including Revlon with Megan Thee Stallion and Ashley Graham, who are incredible women in and of their own right, as well as how we are speaking to the consumer, right? And bringing that voice to her is extremely important, especially around the messaging that we have. And I'll just choose Revlon on Live Boldly, which really resonates today with the consumer. Well, I mean, clearly you were living boldly in high school with your silver, you know, kind of stuff. My silver city pink lip. That's, That's right. right. So you were you were doing a lot of great things back then. But you take it around like you're talking about consumers in Australia. You know, we talked about Elizabeth Arden. That's in China. Revlon's in 150 different countries around the world. So how do you kind of in redoing a business know how to choose what product categories, what brands, in what countries? How have you kind of prioritized that? And how have you built out a team that's enabled you to do that most effectively? You know, we really focus on key brands and key markets where we have scale. And that's really been a strategic priority of ours since, you know, I began in this position in 2018. So if you look at our larger brands of Revlon and Elizabeth Arden, we've been focused on the U.S. and in China. If you look at some of the brands that are not as well known in our portfolio to the outside, such as American Crew and Men's Grooming, C&D, which is best known for shellac nail, gel nail color, as well as Q-Tex and Mitchum, again, we go back to let's focus on where we have scale, where we can grow market share, and where we have the teams that can drive not only in-store and online. In the day, it comes down to teams. It comes down to people running the business who are really passionate about the brands. And I have to say at Revlon, we have incredible teams that really feel empowered in terms of the work that they do and they can operate with speed and agility. So if we go from a, a from and a to, so, you know, you got the seat and, you know, you're put in charge. We can talk about what it's like to be put in charge and then, oh my gosh, a pandemic comes, but, but you're put in charge and now you look at it and you say, okay, here's what I want to accomplish. Do I have the right people? How did you go about that so that you were able to kind of either take people who are already there, elevate them and give them the space to win, you know, or, or bring in uh, new creativity and new competencies? You know, for, for me coming into the role in 2018, it was really about finding the right people in the right roles. And it was really a combination. It was a combination of leveraging the current experience and talent within the organization as well as bringing fresh perspectives into the business in capabilities and capacities that we did not have at the time, such as 
digital and e-commerce. But what's really important for me is really trying to elevate people from within. A great example of that is our chief marketing officer, Martine Williamson, who was at Revlon for 15 plus years. And she had left to gain experience with indie brands. And then about a year ago, I was able to bring her back into the business as the chief marketing officer, where she also not only brought the history and context of our brands, but also a fresh new experience with regards to operating in different types size businesses that were really digital first. Well, you know, it's interesting on digital first, I was involved in some digital first businesses, you know, over the past few years and, and what it comes down to is speed. And one of the things that I've seen is your ability to kind of marry, you know, people like, you know, your chief scientific officer along with, you know, Martine to kind of have a faster to market on trend um, way to innovate and drive. Talk a little bit about how you made that happen because in a company that stayed, that doesn't happen. In the smaller companies, it does. It's been a real goal of ours in, our, in terms of speed to market and increasing the speed to market. When I came in here, I really work with my team members as true partners. So Kayla and I partnered in terms of redesigning our NPD, our new product development process so that we could have speed to market. And we iterate on it. We don't view anything as you know sacred or untouchable here. Everything can be iterated on. And that's something that we've been able to do with Martine and with others is constantly look at how we're doing things and how we can shrink the time to market or on the other side, actually be in a position where if we have something that's really truly breakthrough in the market and we need to spend more time developing it, particularly on the skincare side, right, that we're able to give ourselves that type of runway. But, you know, one key takeaway being in this role and being the partners that I have on my team is, you know, really taking a hard look at how do we constantly improve? So it's not only the speed, but it's also about how do we improve what we're doing on a day-to-day, month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter basis? Yeah, no, I mean, I I saw some, some data points that show that you're able to now get things in the market as fast as six to eight months, mm-hmm. which is really quite quite spectacular. So in, in looking at the industry in total in beauty, what are the biggest shifts that you've seen in the past 20 years, you know, that you kind of look at and say, okay, here's what's going to happen next based on what I saw happen in the last 20 years? Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's so many shifts that have happened, which goes back to my first point about how, di- how dynamic the industry is. I think the first one, which I view really exciting, is around the indie brands. So over the past decade, the barriers to entry in the market have come down significantly. And from my perspective, that's a great thing because the industry in and of itself has been able to attract new users and new brands have been able to enter the market that have, you know, young entrepreneurs who predominantly are female. And for me, I think that that's one, extremely inspiring And two, I really view it as I've been able to be in my position because a lot of the groundwork that they laid, right? So I do owe a lot to them. And I think it's an incredible shift. And they have also been able to pioneer what you were speaking about, which is how to connect with that consumer, right? How to do that in a way that resonates. Well, and also we're so so multicultural, you know, that that connection happens in so many different ways. 
have you, you know, Revlon was always known for the big glamorous model, you know, and the person who came forward and represented something. How do you kind of make it a bigger party, you know, with more people and more inclusion? How are you doing that while at the same time still representing kind of being bold and the glamour and the, and the, you know, how you feel and making somebody feel wonderful and beautiful? And that's a big part of it is that you have to be inclusive in order to make people feel wonderful and glamorous. And, you know, back to what you had said is it's in our DNA. It's in our history of diversity and inclusion. And it's about really bringing that to the forefront. And if you look at our foundation range, right, today, we are the first to have 62 foundation colors in mass color cosmetics under Revlon Color Stick. Right. So it has been there and our the representation within how we communicate to the consumer has been there. And for us, it's really about how do we broaden that impact? And that includes what we do corporately by supporting Beauty United or corporately what we're doing with other brands like Freedom of Nature in terms of scholarships with HBCUs. But it is part of what we have been doing and we're giving it more of a voice. And I'm sure you see that in, in your world too, Matt, in terms of the businesses and companies that you interact with that it absolutely must happen today. Well, diversity comes in so many forms and it's, you know, it's, it's ethnicity. It's, you know, the way I live my life, the, you know, the things that I desire versus somebody else. And so being all inclusive while still standing for that, which is, you know, you said the emotional connection, but that which really makes it, you know, quite, quite special in terms of feeling is, is unifying in, in what happens. So, let, let's move away from just Revlon the brand for a second and let's move to your managing a portfolio. I mean, by the way, I did wear my American crew tonight um, so you. that, you know, I could be ready for this um, and I wouldn't have my hair out of place. I mean, it's it's the leader in professional men's grooming. You know, I also looked and I saw you still have Jean Gatineau, which was, you know, a little itty bitty brand, but, you know, kind of the French home facial and the professional skincare, you know, out of France, which is the quintessential idea. How do you manage things all the way from the glamour, you know, in the U.S. and, and around the world of Revlon to the wellness and the, the great skincare regimens that come out of Elizabeth Arden to, you know, men's, you know, to, you know, uh, very, very niche businesses at the same time. How do you kind of organize to create a company which can enable and empower all of those things? Mm -hmm. Well, as you said, we do have a very diverse and wide ranging portfolio of brands. And it really comes down to, you know, strategy, uh, strategy and culture. And for us, it really is around the culture that we've developed is really around, you know, agility as well as empowerment and enabling the teams to execute on the strategies that they've put forth because, you know, they own it um, and they're, you know, they really drive the brands in the market. And it comes down to, you know, that accountability and that type of execution. Back to what we were saying is that you have the elements around, you know, your strategy of going to market, of connecting to the consumer and of the products that you're launching and really going back to driving where you have scale. And that's the same whether you're in men's grooming or whether you're in nail or skincare. It then comes down to the tactics that you're using in the market, which changes depending on, you know, the segment that you're in. You know, you, you took over in 2018 and then, you know, two years later, you know, we, we have a pandemic um, and yet you're in the middle of change. What what did it 
cause you to have to pause? And what did it uh, refocus you on that now on the other side has really been a gift? Mm -hmm. It's such a good question. I mean, it really is because I, I keep on going back to really our employees and you know, I've, I've always been focused on our organization and, you know, the, the well-being of the employees. But, you know, when COVID hit, it really, it really became apparent that the organization was at the forefront of ensuring that our employees remained safe and healthy. And we took steps in order to do that, like every other organization. And we changed how we communicated with the organization we changed how we are speaking about health and wellness, right? We changed our, you know, cadence in terms of meetings and interactions so that we can create different types of connections with the employees. And I think one of the biggest learnings for me and for other members of the leadership team was really around, you know, how do you lead with empathy, understanding the whole person? Uh, both the physical well-being as well as the mental well-being during these extremely trying and stressful times. You know, I think for me, that was really the big, one of the larger takeaways that, you know, that, that I found during this, during that unprecedented time that we've been going through. Yeah, everybody, I mean, what I found is that, you know, you can say the same words in the same room and everybody ingests it differently. And then you've got, you know, it across multiple countries and multiple objectives and skill types. And, and, and it's, it's really quite tough. I mean, it is funny though, for me sitting here chatting with you today, because I was thinking about this and, you know, uh, you know, people always talk about somebody being the first, you know, this or the first that. But I mean, I kind of know what the culture of Revlon was, you know, when I got there. And it, you know, was dominated as a male-oriented culture. And I, I do laugh the fact that if Elizabeth Arden and Charles Revson knew that a woman was running both businesses together, you know, around the world, that uh, probably both of them would turn in their grave. But Elizabeth Arden would end up on top and saying, you see, I told you so. And Charles would say, yeah. Yeah, but did you see Revlon's doing even better? So it would be a very interesting conversation, you know, with the two of them. Do you ever go back and think through the eyes of these founders in terms of what were they trying to create and in the modern concept, what it means? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think I go back, I read a lot about both of those founders because they were groundbreaking in their own ways, you know, both not only from a business perspective, but from a cultural relevancy perspective, they were really at the forefront of where culture is going. And, you know, they were, you know, unafraid to put a stake in the ground, whether it was women's rights and voting rights, you know, with Elizabeth Arden, you know, aligned with her ability to define wellness at the time, to, you know, Charles Revson, who was groundbreaking in terms of presenting, you know, color cosmetics in a new and different way. And frankly, which was very empowering for women at the time, extremely empowering for them. I and mean, if you well, look at the people don't yeah. give him credit today, people forget that the Charlie fragrance oh, itself, yes. it actually is the woman that is more strident in the, in the seventies. And he did this just before he passed away. It was probably the biggest breakthrough of a lifestyle fragrance where a woman was wearing a pantsuit 
and she was taking over I'm in charge mm -hmm. and it's almost representative you know of what you're doing today and being in charge and bringing that boldness to today's um, mm -hmm. consumer but you know it, it's it's the concept that seems to be coming alive and awaking in Revlon once again under your leadership. That's the goal. And I'm thrilled, Matt, that you recognize that is that, you know, we are trying to live up to their the founders in terms of how groundbreaking we can be with not only the product, but also the communication. I just want to go back to the Charlie ad, because I also think about that Charlie ad as groundbreaking. It comes up a lot in terms of how other companies in fashion and elsewhere have tried to recreate that or gain inspiration from that, which is, you know, very exciting for us. And I think about what would that woman look like today, right? I don't have an answer, but I challenge myself all the time. What would that woman look like today? And how does she feel and how did it make her feel? Because when she sprayed that on, all of a sudden she walked out the door and said, honey, I'm coming, I'm in charge. And, and that was me too when I was, at, when I was young, right? I, I sprayed that believing that too. Yeah, well, it, it kind of gives you a, a lift, you know, but you were talking about something that 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 you were talking about the whole person, you know, and and both in how you lead and how you're addressing the whole person, you know, on your leadership team, uh, you know, as well as throughout the organization, whether people are in the plant floor, you know, or whether they're at beauty counters, you know, or, you know, whether they're sales reps, whatever they may be. And and when you you look at that, you know, in your own personal life, you've actually committed to the whole person. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've done around enabling, you know, better lives for people who have, you know, mental health, you know, issues and some other things that they're thinking about as well. Well, mental health and in particular child mental health is, you know, very close to my heart. And that really is driven from my own experience as a parent and really navigating through the challenges of that and the, frankly, the lack of information regarding that with regards to my own daughter. And so when I was looking about 13 years ago for information, education, and frankly, what questions I needed to ask to get her help, right? It was, it was a struggle. And out of that really came the Child Mind Institute, which I co-founded 13 years ago to be not only at the forefront of evidence-based treatment, right? But also at the forefront of education and destigmatizing these types of conversations. Well, it sounds like when you talk about, you know, kind of thinking about how someone feels unlocking their potential and at the same time using evidence-based, you know, something that somebody who's as smart and savvy as you would, would do. And then bringing that into the beauty industry and mm -hmm. enabling a culture. Now we know why Revlon is on fire again. And so Debbie, it's been fantastic getting to chat with you today and learn a little bit about what you've done to reignite what is America's great color cosmetic brand, as well as other brands and businesses and, and adding more dimension, not just to them, but to the company and adding a soul to the company in a great way. So this is Retails from the Frontline. And Debbie, I just want to say thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, I'm going to go out and buy my wife some pink lipstick this weekend. <laughs> thank you very much, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Great. I'm Matt Rubel, and this is Retails from the Frontline. We're with Debbie Perlman, the CEO and president of Revlon, Inc.